to the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today, I have the honor to speak with Susie Hayes. Susie is a speaker, teacher, and an award-winning author. She helps people become freed from stuck and live a better life. So Susie, thank you for coming on today. I'm excited. I'm glad we finally got scheduled and all that fun stuff figured out. But I usually like to lead into this question that start, but what kind of motivated you to like head down that speaker, teacher, and like becoming an author? What led you down that path in the first place? Well, it's, first of all, um, really a delight to be here with you, Josh. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. The way this all came about was that I had run into a colleague of mine at a professional meeting, and uh, I said to him, what you, what you doing these days? And he said, I've started a publishing company. He said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I oh. said, no, I have never had any intention. I had watched many of my colleagues uh, be tortured in the process, and I just simply had no interest. And he said, well, I bet you've got a book in you. If you give me an hour and a half, I'll find that book in you. I said, okay, I'll give you an hour and a half. So we sat down and out of that conversation, I came to realize that in my work over the last decades as a counselor, a coach, a hypnotist, a speaker, that in all of those arenas, what I was really doing was helping people become freed from stuck. So that's how this all came about. And then we worked together and uh, produce the book. There you go. That's that's awesome. Thank you for giving kind of a brief background of like how you got there and yeah. things like that. I think people, especially my audience, they like to hear kind of the background of how people got there. So <laughs> this kind of question that freed from stuck is kind of where I want to take this. And that's uh, a lot of people are stuck. <laughs> that's kind of the consensus that I come to I think a lot of people whether it's their personal life or professional life I think but uh, I guess it's only natural for me to ask how do you get unstuck right you're the expert (laughs) (laughs) well we all have experiences of being stuck and you're right it can be professionally it can be personally it can be relationally it can be financial in any area Mm -hmm. of our life where our life is not functioning in the way that we want. We're feeling some dissatisfaction or frustration that we're not living the quality of life that we want. Any of those experiences indicate that in some way we're stuck. Like we kind of know where we want to be or we believe we ought to be mm-hmm. and we're just not there. And we're not really quite sure how to get there. That's what it means to be stuck. And freed from stuck really means being able to move out of that place of feeling frustrated and immobilized, to be able to have a sense really of where we want to go and to have a plan or a strategy or some understanding of how to get there. Gotcha. No, that's... Yeah, that makes sense too. And as we were talking, I kind of question came up and that's, what would you say is kind of like one of the more common, like things that you see people getting stuck in? Like just, is it just 
I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but what what's something that you just see people that really just hounds them down right off the bat? There are three ways in which people predominantly will get stuck, whether it's in trauma or gotcha. procrastination or self-sabotage. Those seem to be the areas where people experience the stuckness the most. Okay, gotcha. Okay, thank you. That, Especially, <laughs> I'll admit this to uh, procrastination, that's probably my weak point too. I think that's something I, I'm like, oh man, Josh, why did you do this? But uh, right, we set that expectation high and then sometimes it's like, oh shoot, we have two days to get this done type of thing and there's no possible way. And it's kind of getting yourself out of that habit that I think is important. And that's a question that just came to my mind. I, I want to get kind of your thoughts on habits and then how do you set good habits so then you can achieve some of those goals that you set. Habits are really about patterns that have formed for us that ultimately are created for the purpose of being able to live well, to function well. And we realize that a habit is interfering with our quality of life when it's not producing the results or the emotional state that we're wanting uh, to experience. And so part of what is important is really understanding that habits really develop in the brain and in the nervous system. And the more emotionally charged they are, the more repetitive they are, the longer that we are doing a certain habit, the more entrenched, literally, it is inside of us. So one of the things I think people, I think we all wish it could be different. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that those patterns don't ever really go away. They stay stored in the memory. And that's actually purposeful because that's how our brain operates. That when we are stressed or something happens that triggers a fight, flight, or freeze reaction, we will default to the habits that are familiar to us just because it helps our brain function more spontaneously. However, what we also know because of the neuroplasticity of the brain mm -hmm. and that we can actually calm and um, retrain the nervous system we know that new habits and new patterns can be formed. And the more that we work in those new patterns, then they replace the old patterns and we reinforce that and we can move ourselves forward more effectively. But we mustn't ever believe that those old patterns go away. They just go into um, the background and they still remain usually as a default. And I think that's important to remember because sometimes... We lack compassion in our change process. It's like, I know that I should be doing this differently, right? But I yeah. just keep going back. Well, you keep going back because that's what's familiar. And so until you actually have a pattern that is strengthened and repeated and effective, chances are you're going to default back just by virtue of how we're designed. Huh. That's, that's interesting too. I, 
habits, the mind, especially that's so fascinating to me. And especially to your point, I think you're right with the whole, like it stores in the back of your head. Right. And you build on top of those habits. Right. So like when you're younger, you do some things and like, Oh, when you were sad, you ate some sugar and that made you feel good type of thing. And that's how you kind of go into that process of coping maybe. And sure it might help. Right. And you might feel good, but then maybe you gain some weight and it's like, Oh shoot, that's, that's not, maybe that's not what you wanted type of thing. So that change is hard because right. Still in that back of mind, because it's like, Hey, this is what made me happy. Right. Like this is how I coped with things. And I think that's something. So kind of, I guess this is a question that comes up. It's how, how do we kind of switch that default? Is it just kind of stuck there or do we have to put a new habit in place that kind of replaces it or something like that? What's kind of your thoughts there? Yes. So, um, if I may, let me share with you the five, we call it the five step method of becoming freed from stuck. And it's really that there are five components to creating the change. And we designed this in the book with the acronym of F-R-E-E-D. And we used the metaphor of a bridge so that we're crossing from being stuck to freed from stuck. And so the first step, the F, is to face the bridge. And what this means is to clearly identify what the real problem is, because sometimes what we think the problem is, is not the real problem. That more often than not, the real problem is some need or some pain point that needs to be attended to. So once we identify what that is, then we can clearly look at that and make some decisions and put into place a plan to meet that need or to figure out how to move away from that pain. The second element is R, which is recognize the bridge, which is to look across the bridge to the destination. This is the goal. This is the habit we want to change. This is the relationship we want to cultivate. It's the financial state that we want to be in. Whatever it is, we look across the bridge and we say, that's where I want to be. And the more clearly we can create an image, a visualization, an idea in our mind that is emotionally charged, the easier it's going to be to cross the bridge because that will help fuel us in the journey of crossing the bridge. And certainly as we cross the bridge, things may change. Mm -hmm. But if we have some idea about that, it really compels us. It magnetizes us forward toward really the desired state that we want to be in. The third element, the first E, is embrace the bridge. And what this is, is about identifying any blocks or obstacles that are keeping us from crossing that bridge, and also then putting together a strategy or a plan for the steps that we need to take, the action that we need to take to be able to create that change. The next element, the E, is exit the bridge. And this is the element that we don't talk about very often in the change process, 
but this is actually about recognizing what we need to let go of. And that requires grieving. And we don't like to talk about grief and we don't like to feel grief because it is the most difficult human task. And yet anytime we're going to make a change, we're going to have to let go of what is no longer serving us. So we have to be prepared to, to grieve and to let go of certain things in order to really create sustained change. If we don't do that, we're likely, more likely to default back, to retreat to what is familiar, which by the way is different than what's comfortable. So we tend to gravitate toward what's familiar because we know how to manage that. And then the fourth element is the D, which is about arriving at the destination and in arriving at the destination, also discovering our destiny. And by that, I mean that in any transformational process, it is really important to appreciate that we come to know our destiny, which is who we really are, what our values are, what is purposeful to us, why are we here, how do we contribute and how do we expand and grow beyond that point at the destination? It's also important to have in place some system of usually of accountability in that change. Yes. And accountability is not policing. Accountability is about having support, truthful support that comes alongside of us, that helps us to get to where we want to go, and also to support us in building on that. And that's how we create the change and sustain it. And then we also realize that when we arrive at that point, there will always be another bridge. So we need to be prepared for that because it's those continued bridges that we build upon and expand. No, that's, I love that. That was so many good stuff in there too. And Great, great five points there too. I think a lot of people, they can learn from that. And especially on the accountability side of things, I think that's something I've actually, so I've been kind of building my own theory as well, like something completely different, nothing related to like making change and stuff. But I'm like the three things like to build like successful relationships with others and stuff. And I think it's respect, accountability and patience type of thing. And the accountability is part, especially, I think, especially to your point, right? We all have like a vision kind of where we want to be, but we're not, sometimes we don't want to actually put forth the work or the effort or let go. I think that was an excellent point you made there too. And the accountability kind of keeps you, like gives you a reality check. It's like, hey, this is what's actually happening. This is reality. This is what the present moment is like right now type of thing. Yeah. And that's the thing, all of us, right? We, we kind of envision ourselves where we want to be, but then it's the actual action and the accountability part, especially, I think that's something we all need a little bit more of <laughs> is kind of my, and to your point as well, it's not policing. It's not saying, Hey, you need to fix this. You need, it's, it's not that it's, Hey, this is where you're at right now. What are you going to do about it? Type of thing. And that's what I think accountability is. And a little bit more on the exit thing. I think not too many people, they, they don't really focus on that. And I, I think that's a 
Interesting point you made there. I, I'd love to learn more about that. What's can you kind of go into more depth about that? In terms of that element? Yeah, just that element. I think a lot of people yes. forget um, that. You know, we're not we're not taught to understand that grieving is a natural part of our human experience. We talk about living well. And we talk about how we want to expand and how we want to grow and, and even about what we want to acquire and accumulate. All of that is part of the life process in terms of, of expanding out into the world. But grieving is really a part of our experience every day. Even the experience of disappointment is an experience of grieving because we have a certain expectation. And when that expectation is not met, there's the sadness of the disappointment. But in that, there's an element of grief as well because we, we've lost something in that experience of disappointment. And we try to understandably protect ourselves from being disappointed mm -hmm. But what I think is really more useful for us is to figure out how to best manage those experiences. Like, what do we do when we have a loss? What do we do when someone betrays us? What do we do when someone lies to us? What do we do when someone lets us down? Mm -hmm. we, it's really important that we understand that that because sometimes when those things happen, we act shocked, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And yes, I understand that, you know, I mean, sometimes, particularly if it's a betrayal, um, that's it, it can be shocking. But the reality is, is that we're disappointed all the time. And so to be able to manage that disappointment and say, OK, what do I say inside of myself when this happens? Is this about something that I did that caused this or is this something that's going on in that other person that they simply weren't able to show up or they were afraid to show up in a certain way or something happened. I mean, these are just part of our life experiences. And so we need to be able to one, understand that that's going to happen and cultivate a kind of resilience in that and not necessarily take it as a personal wounding. And then we also need to understand how to be able to not allow that to hold us back or slow us down, meaning that if there's something that has happened to us that's providing a, another unexpected obstacle or struggle in moving forward, we need to be able to acknowledge that, but then also revisit that and say, okay, how do I continue to move forward in this? No, I 100% I agree. I think kind of finding those healthy ways to kind of grow, and this is something I like to think too, as much as we don't like kind of those disappointments, right? The struggle type of thing. That's the only part where you can really grow, if I'm being honest. Like, that's where you learn the most. Like, I would say in some of my lowest points of my life, that's actually where I've learned the most about myself, what I can do type of thing. And it's kind of, yeah, it's funny because it's like that you're, you're kind of helpless too, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like I can't do anything type of thing. But it's like, you, you always find a way type of thing. It's that resilience. It's like, well, 
life goes on. You got to figure out some way to make this work or you got to figure something to do it. And that's something I like to tell people is I'm like, there's no growth if there's no struggle. And I'm like, you, you have to, you have to struggle as much as we hate it. Right. And we try to avoid it and push it off to the side. You need it and it sucks, but you, you just need it in order to grow and be a better person. So that's, I, thank you for sharing that. I think that's an element I think a lot of people don't talk about enough, right? Like it's easy to set the goal. It's easy, right? To identify, you're like, this is what I want. All right, we have a plan set in place. But it's like, all right, what are some of the behaviors though that are preventing you from even doing this in the first place type of thing, yeah. right? And that's yeah. that's something I think a lot of people can benefit from. So, right, we let go of that uh disappointment we learn how to manage it what's the the next step i think maybe i could be wrong is to actually act to actually go out and do it type of thing how do you actually take that first step i think a lot of people just really they just kind of get scared and it's like oh my gosh i'm scared type of thing and how do you actually take that first step and be like you know what i can do this type of thing you know this is i think first of all where the experience of accountability can be very useful Mm-hmm. That if we have a conversation with someone um, that we trust, whether it's a therapist, a coach, a friend, a pastor, a mentor, and say, I really, I really want to change this in my life. Mm-hmm. And to be able to have a conversation of exploration, to put together a, a plan, a strategy, a way of moving forward is really helpful. And then we have someone there to really help us navigate that. And I always say, especially at the beginning, but even throughout the process, Mm -hmm. what is the next most simple step you can take? And that's really important because we can spend a lot of time in planning, right? We can research (laughs) and plan and we can talk about it and we can map it out and, you know, we can do a spreadsheet and yeah. I mean, we can gather all the supplies that we, whatever it is, right. We, we can be very good in that preparation, mm-hmm. but it's really in taking the action and change does not occur without taking action. Mm-hmm. And that's really important to keep in mind because sometimes that is the greatest challenge. You know, it's like just getting up off the couch and driving to the gym, you know, whatever it is. That first step sometimes is the most challenging. And um, the book Atomic Habits uh, is, I think, one of the best resources. I think he did the most comprehensive overview of uh, the change process, particularly related to the experience of changing habits. And he gives an example of one of the people that he was working with that simply would get up and drive to the gym. And I don't remember the time period, but it was for weeks Mm -hmm. and go in, but never go work out. Just was cultivating that pattern of getting to the gym, just getting there. And so sometimes it's that simple step. And I also think that it's really important in those steps that we have to find 
the next most simple best step for us, sometimes we have to explore that because sometimes going to the gym might work, but sometimes it might not. Mm -hmm. Maybe walking in the park works, maybe going to the pool. Um, but we have to find the path that's going to take us there that resonates with what brings us the greatest experience of pleasure. And our brain really does operate quite simply on aversion to pain and moving toward pleasure. And moving away from pain is always a stronger stimulus than moving toward pleasure. So we'll always respond more to pain than to pleasure. We're just, again, just wired that way. But if we can find a way that resonates for us, and by resonate, I mean it feels good to us, it makes sense to us intellectually, it feels good to us emotionally, like, okay, I can show up and do this, and, and I'm okay with that, and it physically has to feel right for us. It has to resonate at a physical level that, yeah, my body tells me that this change is really going to serve me well, whether that's having to do with a physical change or even a relational change. Because if we're making changes and our bodies are somehow signaling us that there's some kind of resistance in that, then we need to pay attention to that. Because our brain and our nervous system works together, our intelligence and our heart works together. It all works with our essential self, our soul. Mm -hmm. And if we're in alignment with that, then the resistances are diminished and we can move forward in the change process. Man, that's, that's good right there. I think, especially on the, like the example you gave, I think sometimes breaking down those things into smaller, more actionable steps makes it a lot easier. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. I, can, I can take myself to the gym. I, I don't even have to work out type of thing. But then all of a sudden yeah. you find yourself there, right? And it's like, I think... Uh, James Clear mentions this in his book and he's like, Oh yeah. Once you're there, it's like, well, I got 30 minutes. Might as well yeah. like try something out, like to see what happens type of thing. And it's just kind of just this never ending, just kind of spiral down this path. And it's just, it's more of like you said too, it's an exploration. It's like, well, let's see what happens. Like we haven't tried this before and that's ultimately what happens. And it's kind of funny because, after I read that book, it's, I agree with you. I think that's a really good book. And I I realized, especially on the environment end of things, I'm like, that was actually probably what was slowing me down the most, was mm -hmm. actually like put myself in the right environment. Because I would just work out in the basement and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, and I just remember after I read that book and then like I was thinking one day, I was like, I don't really like, I played sports in high school. Like I loved working out. Like it was fun. Like what, what changed type of thing. Now it's like a drag. And it was like actually getting myself out of bed and going somewhere, changing the environment that for me, I was like, wait, this is, this is why I did it. <laughs> it was because it was an escape from like the work or like home, things like that. And like, that was a healthy way for me to like go out and work on you know maybe my physical appearance that might be a benefit cool right but that wasn't the sole reason why I went it's to go somewhere else and escape from some of the pains and then come right back and then we can focus and kind of change that focus in each area of my life and I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this too and that's uh 
I find that there's a difference between tunnel vision and focus, right? Like you can be focused, like really involved in a task. Then tunnel vision is more of where, like it, it blinds your vision type of thing. But I, I kind of want to get your thoughts. What do you think the difference is between like tunnel vision and focus? Mm. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. I like that question. As I think about it, this is simply my first response to that, is that I think what differentiates those two experiences is anxiety or fear. Tunnel vision is really about we're, we're in a state where we're not allowing any other information in, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're heading in one direction, and usually we do that because there's some level of fear or anxiety that we feel like we're just, you know, we're having to push forward in some way. And if we check in emotionally, it's usually that we're in a stressed state when we have tunnel vision. Like there's something about even considering a broader perspective mm -hmm. that feels scary. Yeah. Focusing, on the other hand, is about a deliberate choice of focusing on something usually that we're compelled to look at, to observe, to be focused upon. And that has a much more positive internal state with it. It's like, I don't know about you, but I can, I can watch a lecture, I can read a book, mm -hmm. I can be involved in some kind of process. And a creative process, particularly is where people will often see this, you just get totally absorbed into it and your focus is just being fully present with that and you lose track of time. Well, that's really about being focused or, you know, you're trying to create something, you're trying to complete something and you are able to just take your mental and emotional energy and focus on that and you're simply moving forward without resistance or distraction. That's how I would differentiate those two states. I think that's a good definition too. I think I've never heard the fear and anxiety part. I think that's, that's so true, right? And it's even like, <laughs> this is something that just came to my mind. Sometimes it might just be, well, I was wrong type of thing. Like, and you're just so scared of like, oh, am I wrong type of thing? And you keep going down this path. And if you end up actually being wrong, it's like, ugh, like that's a, like, I, I would say it's okay to question yourself, right? Like that's the focus. It's okay to like say, Hey, like, ah, am I, is this right? Doubts are normal type of thing. But you'll find that if you just kind of say, no, like I'm right, this is how you do it. Then you kind of end up, I think in that tunnel vision and you fear being wrong type of thing. And I think that's something maybe a lot of people, myself included, right? <laughs> uh, kind of experience. It's like, wait, I could, I could be wrong. And, uh, and it's scary type of thing. Cause our brain likes to predict the future. Right. But the reality is, is we can't, can't predict the future. Right. We want, we want to know what's going to happen for a fact, but we don't know that. And that's, I think something that, yeah, the fear and anxiety, I think that's something that's a good way to kind of di differentiate the two points there but yeah i so kind of the fear and uh, anxiety i guess it, it seems like there's a lot of that in today's world i mean that's probably on your basis too right that's probably why a lot of people are stuck even 
how do you overcome that fear and anxiety? You know, that's that's a good question. I as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, very often I will um, when people ask me, what do you do? And I say, I help people become free from stuck. I say, I help people access internal resources they never knew they had in order to create what they never knew they could. And it's so important to appreciate that as we move forward in our life, we accumulate experiences and we hopefully learn from those experiences to continue to move forward. And certainly how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see the world is really based on a combination of our values and our beliefs. And if we are very constrained, or if, let me put it a different way, if we're not encouraged to ask questions and to be curious, if we're told this is what you should believe, mm -hmm. and we're never allowed the opportunity of that curiosity, we will tend to have a more narrow perspective in certain mm -hmm. ways. If we are allowed to be curious and to ask questions, and especially, this was a gift my father gave me even as a young child. He encouraged me to ask questions all the time. Ask That's questions, awesome. ask questions. And I was kind of a little chatterbox and I was always asking questions. And I was given permission to do that. It didn't matter. I could, I felt very safe. I could ask questions and it served me well, right? Because that's the work that I do. I'm always asking questions. And so when we have permission to ask questions and we learn how, to, how to ask good questions, it allows us to open up that scope and to look at the possibilities in a greater way. And if you even think about how physiologically we function, when we're afraid, we tend to narrow our vision and we tend to look down, right? That's just the mm -hmm. instinct of self-protection. When we feel more safe, we're more open and we tend to look up and we tend to look at the possibilities around us. So sometimes we can even check into our physiological state and say, how open am I really in this experience? Am I really allowing myself to be open and observe? And to be open and observing is actually a more safe place to be than to be looking through a narrow uh, tunnel vision. So it's very important that we have that internal permission to be able to look out and consider the possibilities. I, I like that. That's it's optimism, right? Like, I think kind of looking at the best of life, like, hey, like, we can do this type of thing. Like, we can actually achieve this. And on the question parts, too, I think that that is one of the most important things because how else would you know if you don't ask the question in the first place, <laughs> right? Like, that's, uh, I mean, this is something, especially, like, like, my friends or, like, people that I grow up with, we, we, we've grown up, like, I've, I guess I'll kind of date myself here. I've known nothing but Google my entire life. And we can ask any question we want type thing and have the answer instantly. And I'm like, the thing is, is, kind of, we talked about this earlier. It's, 
we have we can answer a lot of questions why don't we do something about it <laughs> like like look, we have the information just act type of thing and i think that's something grateful for our generation has we can just ask questions but i think even on a there's some things right that google can't solve i will <laughs> say that don't go ask google for some things but i think again the opportunities are unlimited like in today's world right that's something i think many people don't recognize it's google kind of made it possible for us to ask any question we could and then we we just we just have to act and that's something i think that it's so simple right we just have to take that first step and that's what we've been talking about today yes and google is google is about for the most part um information Mm-hmm. external information, but Google doesn't know anything about my inner state. Exactly. Right. Google doesn't know what I need. Only I know what I need. Google doesn't know what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm swearing at Alexa. <laughs> Turn off the theater room lights. No, no, not the bedroom, the theater room. <laughs> oh, you gotta love it. <laughs> So, so it's, it's like a giant encyclopedia, right? And I think it is so amazing. I love the strides that we've made in technology, but the technology is there as a resource to serve us Mm -hmm. in asking intelligent questions about ourselves and about our resources. And, you know, I, I say to people, They ask me, can older people learn to change? And I say, absolutely, because they have a wealth of life experience. Their treasure chest of experience is far greater. They might not exactly know how to access everything on Google, but they have very rich internal resources. Your generation is in such an amazing place because you have this technology that provides massive information. And it used to be that information was power, and that's not true anymore. The real power is in being able to figure out and learn how to use that information. It's the capacity to ask good questions. It's the capacity to problem solve. And that requires an internal process that is only learned experientially. And that's why using the resources of Google, of social media, the massive amount of information that's on the the internet is so valuable. And in order to use it, we must cultivate that internal experience of application of that information. And part of that is learning how to assess how to take best actions. I agree there too. And it, it kind of reminded me of, uh, <laughs> I just remember that when I, when I was in math, like way back when, uh, I just remember like people would be like, Oh, what's the point of this? And I was taking like stuff like calculus. I was like, man, this stuff's hard type of thing. And now looking back on it, right. Like I hated it. And, sometimes I just didn't do it. Like I wasn't a big school person, but, uh, I found that that actually like helped you like the resilience again. I think it helped you learn to like stick with a problem and actually solve it. (laughs) 
Because that's the thing. I'm never going to use calculus ever. I've quite frankly, it was the most useless thing I ever learned. But <laughs> it, it was the actual like going about and being deliberate of like, hey, like I'm going to learn this. It's difficult and learning that problem solving skills. So that's that's just something I kind of remember when you were talking about problem solving. And I, I, I agree. I think some of those soft skills, especially in jobs, are actually going to become way more valuable than the kind of the technical skills because those are being kind of taken by robots or uh, like AI, things like that, because that's just, it, you're, you need more human elements that soft skills like responsibility, resilience, uh, accountability, some of the things we've been talking about today. Absolutely. And, you know, artificial intelligence is here to serve us. Exactly. And how wonderful it is that many of these tasks can be managed in that way because it frees us up as human beings to contribute at much higher levels. Exactly. But in order to contribute at much higher levels, we have to cultivate our own minds, our own abilities to think, our own intelligence, our own problem solving, to be able to function at those higher levels to move us forward. And and that's the beauty of it. We sometimes get caught up in, oh my gosh, these robots are going to be taking jobs yeah. away. Well, perhaps they are, but then you're actually potentially freed up to do something that might be more satisfying to you. Mm-hmm. than what you're doing in that factory or that technical setting. And then, of course, we have to be attentive to providing opportunities and training for people mm-hmm. to be able to do that. But wouldn't it be better to feel like you're truly using more of your own skills and your your own abilities in the workplace? That would be far more satisfying than just feeling like you're in some sort of uh, robotic process in, in your work environment. Exactly. So the potential for us moving forward as human beings, we have all of the technology, we have all of the resources, we have actually all of the financial means on the planet to make the changes we need to make. Mm-hmm. We simply need to get the systems in place and we need to deal with those elements of fear, such as greed, that keep us from solving these problems in in a more effective way. But yeah, we um, we're at a place on the planet right now where we have an opportunity to really grow and expand and transform. And I think all of the experiences that we're observing on the planet that are so toxic and so painful and destructive, I think are really hold the potential for being able to clear that toxicity out of our culture, out of our world. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, then we must become the tonic in that. We must show up in the quality of our lives and live our lives well and purposeful, which means about taking full responsibility for ourselves, learning how to ask good questions, um, having a vision of, who we are and what our world can be. All of those are really essential, important pieces to being able to move our planet forward and to care for ourselves and to create better lives for all of us. I I agree. That's very well 
put together and that that was awesome and this kind of stern in my brain and i'm going to ask this as the intelligent question of the day and that's uh how i guess we've we've kind of built on all these things today and it's led up to asking you know good questions so i guess to simply put it how do you learn how to ask good questions in order to ask good questions you must have internal permission, if not encouragement, to be curious. Like curiosity is so valuable. When you think about it, little children are always curious, right? Yeah. They're learning. They're experiencing things for the first time. And so they're like open and wide-eyed and, and they're curious, the other element I think that is important is that in order to ask good questions, not only must you be able to be curious, but you must be able to feel safe to ask those questions. Because if we feel that if we're going to be asked questions and we're in some way going to be punished or shamed or ostracized or criticized, we're going to shut down. Because part of our internal mechanism of being safe is figuring out how to stay in the tribe. And so we don't want to do anything that's going to put us outside of that realm of safety. So in order to be able to, to ask good questions, we have to feel safe about asking good questions. And that's either on a personal level or even as a, a culture. We should be able to speak freely and ask good questions. And it must feel safe that we can do that. And that is an element I think that's being challenged right now that people are becoming more hesitant to simply be open about their thoughts and their feelings because they're afraid that they're going to be attacked. And so it makes it harder, it makes it harder to ask the good questions because it feels unsafe. So I think those two elements are really essential curiosity and safety to be able to to uh, create good questions. That's that right there. That's the intelligent answer of the day. That was, I think that for one, I I agree. I think a lot of people are more hesitant because right they can get canceled or whatever, right? And it's yeah, it's I mean, yeah, or attacked like their credibility can be attacked and stuff. And I think for one, also we live more public lives too, right? So. Every decision, because we make poor decisions too. I've made bad decisions and I've made good decisions too, right? We've made both. <laughs> but now that's all in the public eye. And I think we just need to recognize like, hey, everyone makes poor decisions <laughs> and everyone makes good decisions too. Like applaud the good decisions and then yeah, say, hey man, that probably wasn't a good idea, but there's no need to go after them and anything like that. But thank you for coming on today. This has been fun. I've, I've enjoyed what you had to share today. Thank you. It, it's been an honor. I appreciate it. So you've kind of mentioned like you have a book and website I think you have as well. What's the best way like people can get a hold of you, reach out to you if they've liked anything they heard today? The easiest way is to just contact me uh, via my website, which is freedfromstuff.com. And my book is available on uh, Amazon and it's also available through the website. But uh, yeah, I encourage people to go to the website. There's lots of resources there. 
And uh, if you're interested in connecting with me, think maybe um, we might want to do some work together. Uh, there's a place you can uh, click on there with a contact sheet and uh, I'll follow up with you right away and check it out in terms of, of some valuable information there and some inspiration and some encouragement to allow yourself to become freed from stuck. There you go. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for coming on today. So everyone, you. as you can tell, that is Susie Hayes. She's a very intelligent person, has great things to say. She dropped the information there for you guys. If you guys want to go check that out, I challenge you guys to do that. If you found anything interesting you heard today, stay tuned till next week. We have a great guest lined up for you guys. See you guys next week and let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again and let's get after it.